It makes me feel so good when I stand up and you start clapping for me, just like that. <laughs> Thank you, Susie. Yes, may Jesus Christ be praised. That is the spirit that is in our hearts as we gather today. So let me welcome all of you who are worshiping here on site, those who are worshiping online, those who will be worshiping later on this week or maybe even months from now as they tune into this worship service. We are here to worship and to praise the living God as we enjoy the fellowship of God's people who are gathered here and around the world. So let us be called together in worship as we read responsively from the 111th Psalm. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Full of honor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. Friends, let us worship God. together confess our sins and be assured of the mercy of God in forgiving us. Will you please join me in the prayer of confession as printed in the bulletin. 
eternal God, in whom we live and move and have our being, whose face is hidden from us by our sins, and whose mercy we forget in the blindness of our hearts, cleanse us from all offenses and deliver us from proud thoughts and vain desires, that with reverent and humble hearts we may draw near to you, confessing our faults, confiding in your grace, and finding in you our refuge and strength. Through Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. Hear now these words of assurance. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever would believe in him would never perish but have eternal life. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, I declare we are forgiven. Woohoo! <laughs> May the peace of Christ be with you. Please share that peace with those around you. Woo-hoo. <laughs> the Spirit led you. Okay, good, good. Friends, let's hear just a bit of news about what's going on in the life of the Village Church family. Let me remind you that next Sunday we will be back to our 9 o'clock and 10.30 schedule. So those of you 9 o'clock folks who got to sleep in an hour late, this is the only time you get to do that. We are moving the nine o'clock service back into the sanctuary starting next Sunday. Several good reasons, yeah, <laughs> another woo-hoo, there we go. Um, there are lots of good reasons for that, even though we have enjoyed being outside. Uh, this will give us the opportunity to live stream that service out to our international uh, congregation. It will also give our band a little bit of a chance to use some of the better stuff that's in here and make it easier for them. Ooh, yeah, there. <laughs> Uh, we've already got a theme for this service, I can see. That's the way it's going. <laughs> so again, 9 o'clock here in the sanctuary. It will also be 8,000 degrees next Sunday and the Sunday after, so we'll take advantage of the air conditioning, which, by the way, is not working very well here in the sanctuary. We understand that. We've been having issues there. I will remind you that following this service, we'll gather for our Village Fest celebration over in the Fellowship Center, and it is frigid in there. Don't anybody leave just yet, but... We encourage you to come for a free lunch and to visit all the different tables that have information about all of the ministries that are going on in the life of our church, opportunities for you to grow and to serve and to learn and to contribute and also to take from the life of our family together. So I hope every single one of you goes over to Village Fest later on after the service. Our weekly adult Bible studies at La Costa Glen uh, and then here on Wednesday mornings 
mornings and with the men on Thursday mornings uh, do not start this week. They start the following week. We'll be looking uh, at Genesis. But as we're thinking about all of the things that are going on in the life of the church, also let me remind you that we need you to be involved. We've got lots of seats available here uh, in the choir. We've got some space for you in the band. We need some ushers. We need some lay readers. Uh, we need folks to be part of our youth confirmation class. We need lay readers. We need all kinds of folks, and it will be for your edification and for your growth, and we need to hear about what you are interested in doing. So please let us know about those things. One of the great opportunities we have in every worship service is not only to come to God and to hear the good news of God's grace, but also then to respond to God. So as the band is leading us in this next song, I invite you, if you are so led, to come to the offering baskets at either side of the chancel here and present your offerings before the living God. Would you please stand with us and sing Holy Water? I know it'll be new for some of you, but those from contemporary, sing out so that we have support. <laughs> Oh, wow. 
But I'd like to invite the Kaufman family to come forward for the baptism now. Scott and Kristen Kaufman are here to present their son for the sacrament of baptism in the Church of Jesus Christ. And as they gather, again we hear these words of Jesus, who said that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. And so friends, obeying the word of our Lord Jesus and sure of his presence with us, we baptize those whom he calls to be his own. In Jesus Christ, God has promised to forgive our sins and then joins us together in the family of faith which is his church. He delivers us from darkness and transfers us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In Jesus Christ, God promises to be our father and to welcome us as brothers and sisters of Christ. And so Kristen and Scott, in presenting your son for baptism, you announce your faith in Jesus Christ and you show that you want your son to study him, know him, love him, and serve him as his chosen disciple. So now show your purpose by answering these questions. Who is your Lord and Savior? Do you trust him? And do you intend for your son to be his disciple, to obey his word, and to show his love? Our Lord Jesus Christ ordered us to teach those who are baptized. Do you, the people of the church, promise to tell this child the good news of the gospel? to help him to know all that Christ commands, and by your fellowship to strengthen his family ties with the household of God. Do you? Yes. Pray with me. Oh God, we thank you for your faithfulness promised in this sacrament, and we thank you for the hope that we have in your son Jesus. As we baptize with water, baptize us with the Holy Spirit, so that what we say may be your word and what we do may be your work. Then by your power may we be made one with Christ our Lord in common faith and purpose. Amen. What is your son's name? Wyndham. Hey, buddy. Wyndham, I'm going to show you this water that feels really cool right now. Everybody's jealous because you and I are going to be cooled off here. Wyndham, water is something that people have thought about from the very beginning of time. And it's something that people of faith have thought about from the very beginning of time. In Genesis, we're told that God's spirit moved over the face of the waters to create the dry land as our earth. And then God delivered the Hebrew people through the waters of the Red Sea and then the waters of the Jordan River as he brought them into the promised land. And it was in those same waters that Jesus himself was baptized. And now with this water, we will remember God's covenant promise to you 
to love you always. And so, Wyndham Andrew, I baptize you in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come for a walk with me, son. Wyndham, all these folks out here are part of your family now. You already have a huge family. They're very dear to you, and you are very dear to them. And you now have been welcomed and officially received into the family of faith, into the family of Jesus. In this baptism, we all have made a promise to support and encourage and teach and nurture all of the young people of the church and all of the old people of the church too, because we have to nurture and encourage and feed each other. And so as we welcome you, we remember our own baptisms, we remember our promises to help nurture and strengthen each other, and we're going to be praying for your mom and dad especially and for all the folks who will come into your life that they will be signposts and witnesses of Jesus' love to you and so that you then can do that for others. Pray with me. Oh God, our Father, we thank you for the gift of this sacrament, for the gift of this new child into life and into the life of the church. We pray for his parents, for his sisters, for all of those who are related to him in faith and by blood, that in our nurture and in our love for Wyndham, he would come to know your love. We pray that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Good job. <laughs> Thanks. You guys can be seated. Thank you, buddy. Woohoo. <laughs> Couldn't help myself. Shall we join together in prayer? Just giving our hearts to the Lord. Please join me, and as I lead us in a pastoral prayer, we will join together at the end in the Lord's Prayer. Let us pray. Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, God, our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, praise and honor are due only to you, our God, for you breathed into us life and gave us purpose to bring you honor in all we do. As a village church begins a new season this fall, filled with worship, study, service, and fellowship, let us keep our eyes on you, Lord, in all we do, bringing you glory and praise. For a world with so many needs, we pray, safety in Pakistan with flooding, wars killing innocents, environments being devastated. Come, Lord, give us comfort, hope, and resolve. Comfort those who have lost, especially Vanderlindens. We also pray for Tilton family. Protect, Lord, all who are in need. Protect this community, city, and state from the terrible heat that exhausts us and leaves us spent. Renew us in your, your presence with us today, Lord. Lord God, you created and gifted us to provide industry in our daily lives and to enjoy your presence forever. On this Labor Day weekend, help us to remember all who are involved in meaningful work that contribute to the welfare and well-being of our society. For parents who often work outside the home as well as raise their children. For single parents, for grandparents who are called upon to raise their grandchildren. 
Bless the influencing and shaping of lives to know you and serve you. We give thanks, O oh God, and ask your blessing upon all those who serve in agriculture, all who serve in building trades, working with their hands, fashioning, assembling, and repairing. We give thanks and ask your blessing upon those who teach and those who learn, so that wisdom be shared and morals and values be learned. Bless those who work in the arena of business and commerce. We offer our thanks for gifts given to serve upon all those who serve you with the blessing of medicine, caring for our bodies with skill and compassion. For those in science and research who bring life and sustain quality on earth and the environment, we thank you. Thank you for blessing of those who serve in the arts, providing beauty and meaning to enrich our lives. For those in recreation, for those in communication, who bring to us health and news of the community and the world. We offer our thanks, O oh God, for the public service, for our government and military. Bless them, protect them, guide them, and we are grateful beyond measure. We give thanks, O oh God, and ask your blessing upon those who serve by proclaiming your word, for those who serve throughout the world, often risking their lives to bring light in the midst of darkness providing comfort, strength, and consolation of Jesus Christ to all in whatever circumstances of life. We give to you thanks, O God, and pray your blessing upon those who are retired, those who have served in times past and even now as they rest from specific labor. Serve as examples of your blessing and inspiration for all, trusting in you for every good and perfect gift. We offer our thanks, O oh God, that your Son, Jesus Christ, shared in our toil, giving us first and foremost a work for your justice so that we may never value things above people or surrender honor for gain or lust or power. Sustain us in our work, Lord, and give work to those who need it. Shape societies to ensure fair treatment for all who labor. Help us to love our neighbors in and through our work and in so doing, bring all honor and glory to you through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Please stand as you are able to hear the word of God. A reading from the letter to the Philippians. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you, because you hold me in your heart. For all of you share in God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that, you lo that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best, so that the, in the day of Christ, you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, beloved, that what has happened to me has actually helped to spread the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers and sisters, having been confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, dare to speak the word with greater boldness and without fear. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. In some sense, I feel like saying Happy New Year to you because, in a sense, this is the beginning of another year. Now, I realize it's not January 1st when we begin a calendar year. We start things new then. Sometimes I think of starting things anew on the first day after my birthday, starting a new year of life. But in the way of church rhythm and church life, we sort of think in terms of what we call a program year. We start in September with the first Sunday in September, and then we go all the way through into the following summer. And so for many of us who are attuned by habit, by tradition to the life of the church and its regular rhythms, especially in the United States, this is the beginning of a new year. Now, I don't know what you do at the beginning of something new, but one of the things that I like to do is to take stock of things. That phrase occurred to me the other day, and I started thinking about where does that actually come from, to take stock? Does that mean you go out to the corral and take some livestock? No. 
What it actually refers to is taking an inventory of the stock that you have. It's sort of a business term, but it is expanded to mean taking an inventory, making an assessment, looking at where you are at any given moment. Is that how you use that phrase? We take stock of things. Now, very often, if there has been something like a flood or a fire, you step back and you look at what's left. You take stock of your situation. After a battle, the soldiers who are left gather together and they take stock of their situation, finding out how much ammunition is left, how many soldiers are left. After a pandemic, perhaps, after an upheaval in society, or even just an upheaval in your own personal life, you take stock of where you are what is gone and what remains, and then you continue. In a sense, that's how I want us to think about today, for our church life together and also for your own individual life. Where are you? Where are we? What do we still have? What is gone? Hold that thought in your mind as we start reading Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul is in a similar situation, a similar mindset, I believe. We know that he is in prison somewhere. He refers to that fact in the letter. But he's writing back to the church in Philippi, a very successful church, the church where the first convert on the European continent was made. He is taking stock, if you will, not just of his situation, but of the situation of the church there. And he begins by saying, I thank my God. I thank my God. Usually when something terrible has happened, that's the last thing that we do, isn't it? Thank God. But that's what Paul does. If something wonderful has happened, like say your lottery numbers are hit, you take stock and you thank God for all that stock that you're going to be buying. I don't know. But Paul starts by saying, I thank my God. Well, what does Paul thank God for? He does not thank God for the fact that he's still alive. He does not thank God for the fact that maybe he'll get out of jail one day, he thanks God for other people. Paul is always positive. Paul is a glass half full kind of person. And what he thanks God for is not for himself or his own situation, but for the community of faith, for the people who are part of his life and part of the life of the church. He says, I thank God every time I remember you. How many of you think during the week about the people who are part of the life of this church or part of the life of faith that you share, wherever it is that you are? How many of you think of church people? How many of you are happy about that fact? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Christian faith, 
Christian life is a community event. You cannot have the relationship with God that God wants you to have, that God asks and even commands you to have, unless you also have relationship with other people. Never once does God say, believe in me and don't think about anybody else. Never once. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Now, truth be told, there are some people in the Christian community, when I think of them, I have to remember to thank God for them. And I wasn't looking at you specifically, Juan, but... (laughs) After all, the Christian community is a bunch of people, and nobody loves everybody. But that's what Paul does. He thanks God because he remembers the people who are part of the church. And then he says, I thank God every time I remember you because you hold me in your heart. How many of you can think of one person instantly who you hold in your heart? Okay, if you can't think of someone, I'll volunteer to be that person. (laughs) Yes, we hold people in our hearts. We love them. We think of them. We're concerned about them. We wonder wonder what they're doing when we're not with them. We want to hear about what's going on with them. We hold them in our heart. We do that because God holds us in his heart. There's a popular hymn that is now often sung in ordination services that includes that sentiment. It says, God, I will hold your people in my heart. That's what we do when we make a promise to God to serve and lead God's people. That's really what we do when we make a promise to God that we're going to follow Jesus. It's for everybody. We cannot hold God in our hearts unless we hold other people in our hearts. Because it's all about the community. Your elders, your deacons, your other church leaders, your staff leaders have all been thinking about all of us together as a community of faith. How best can we serve? How best can we worship? How best can we go out into the world? How best can we care for each other and nurture each other? That's all the business of of holding other people in our hearts. Paul mentions a lot of the benefits that are involved, right? We're all interested in what we can get out of something. That's okay to a point. Paul mentions joy. He has joy in his heart when he thinks about other people the people that he loves. Again, I'll ask you, can you think of someone who brings joy to your life? Yes, of course. If you can't, I'll volunteer to be that person, but even more so, I want to volunteer to be that person to visit with you about reaching out in relationships to others. So joy is a big piece of the the Christian life. Can I have a woo-hoo? See? Yeah, that was a joyful woohoo, okay? Let's hear a sad woohoo. Woohoo. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> joy, joy, joy. There's also sharing. Sharing is a wonderful thing. We got several families here today with little kids, and we're all teaching our kids how to share with each other, aren't we? And some of us still haven't learned that lesson after 85 years, how to share. But, but that's what we do is we share in life with each other. We share the ups and the downs. We share the load. We share the work. We share ourselves. And in the receiving of what other people have to share, our lives are enriched. But there's more. Wait, there's more. <laughs> Paul mentions spiritual maturity as a gift that is given to us as we hold others in our hearts, as we thank God for them, as we live life with them. Spiritual maturity. Is there anybody here today who loves being immature? No. I mean, every once in a while we got to cut loose and act like we... I, okay, yeah. You got to watch the choir like a hawk. <laughs> Spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is about being strong, being wise, being competent in the ways of the Lord so that you can live your life competently as well. That is spiritual maturity. That's what we're after. We cannot have it. We cannot grow in it unless we have a community of faith to practice, to nurture, to encourage us. And as we experience that, Paul reminds us that we are being prepared for the day of Christ. It's an interesting phrase. I do not know many people, myself included, who wake up and our first thought of the day is, I wonder if today is the day of Christ, the day when Christ will return, or the day when my life will end and I'll meet Jesus in a brand new way. We don't know specifically what kind of day of Christ Paul was talking about, but he did know this for sure, and, and I tend to agree with him, that living by holding other people in your heart, living in a community of faith, living so that you grow and mature is what prepares you for that day of Christ. Therefore, you need not worry about when Jesus is coming again. You need not worry about when you're going to take your last breath here on earth because you are part of that community. Paul also mentions that there will be a harvest of righteousness. A harvest of righteousness. I love that term, harvest. We're coming into the harvest season. How many of you have been picking vegetables from your garden or fruit from your tree, right? It's a, Rick, I heard, I read just yesterday in the news about, about the pumpkin harvest in the Midwest, where they grow some of the biggest pumpkins ever, hundreds and hundreds of pounds. One guy decided that if he could grow the right kind of pumpkin, a big enough pumpkin, and then hollow it out, that he could sail in his pumpkin down the river. Did you read about him? Anybody? Google it. It's a fascinating story, isn't it? Yeah. He took a paddle. He, he, he sailed this pumpkin like 38 miles. It's going to be a Guinness World Record. That's a harvest if there ever was one. What's a harvest of righteousness? A harvest of righteousness is a harvest of rightness, a harvest of justice. 
making things the way they're meant to be. Every single one of you can give me a long list of what's wrong with the world. Some of you do that regularly, by the way. <laughs> it is as we are part of the community of faith that the Lord makes us mature and strong so that we can serve the world and transform the world so that there's a shorter and shorter list of what's wrong with the world and a longer and longer list of what's right with the world. That's the harvest of righteousness. And all of that comes as we learn love and wisdom. Love and wisdom, that's how Paul speaks to them. He says, this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best. You cannot learn how to love other people without being with other people. It's as simple as that. They cannot learn how to love other people without their having to learn how to love you. We all can point to people who have taught us more about love than anybody else, can't we? Sometimes it's someone whom we love. Mom and dad teach us about love. Grandma and grandpa teach us about love. Sometimes it's our enemies who we have the hardest time loving who teach us the most about how to love and then we become wise in the ways of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now, all of this, all of this that I'm talking about is not just in Paul's mind nearly 2,000 years ago as he's writing to an ancient original church. All of this is going on right now all around the world, and also here. Think about that. The village church is no more special than any other church, but also no less. The village church is a place where people are encouraging each other, where people are teaching each other, where people are holding each other up when they can't hold themselves up. The Village Church is a place that is encouraging us and challenging us to become more just, more righteous, more holy. It is a place, it is a community, it is a family that is doing the very things that the church in Philippi was doing. No, we are not doing them perfectly. No church ever has or ever will. But in our lives together, in our lives individually, we are experiencing that harvest of righteousness. We are learning to love and grow wise. And so it's important for us at this juncture of church life to thank God, to thank God for our elders who lead us, for our deacons who serve us, for all the others who, in whatever way they give to the life of the community, give to the life of the community. I thank God for you. I thank God for our church staff who are not paid enough to be here, but they are because they want to serve 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Who do you thank God for? Not just here in this church, in other churches, other people who are part of your life in Christ. It's important that we thank God. It's important that we're filled with gratitude. It's important that we're learning to love. There's one other fact that I want to highlight for us this morning. And that is the fact that as Paul thought about the church in Philippi, as he wrote to the church in Philippi to encourage them, to strengthen them, to give something to them, he himself was in a world of trouble. He was in prison. He could have stayed in prison the rest of his life for all he knew. Eventually, he would end up in prison and then executed. His life was going terribly. But still, but still, he saw that what was happening in his life was presenting a great opportunity for the gospel. There are not many of us who, when we encounter something terrible in life, think of it as a gift from God in which we can grow in God and have an opportunity for the gospel, but that's the way Paul thought about it. Go back and read that passage later on. Paul says, you know, here I am in prison. I'm being watched over by a military guard. Those guys have to be with me 24-7, 365, but as a result, they have to listen to me 24-7, 365, and I'm telling them about Jesus. He said, this terrible situation in my life has a great opportunity to spread the gospel among those who would never have the opportunity to hear. What about when something terrible is going on in your life? Not that it's not terrible, but everything that happens in life, the good and the bad, is an opportunity to learn more about God, to share the gospel of God. And when I think about this community of faith and all communities of faith everywhere, the two and a half years ago we're told to shut down, stay home, be quiet, stay away from each other as we have gone through the pandemic, as we now are living through other forces that want to tear us apart, political divisions, social divisions. As we go through these things, perhaps they simply are a way for us to have a new way to share the gospel. There are many ways in which all the dynamics that we have lived through of the pandemic have helped to sharpen our focus in this congregation. They've helped to call us back to remember what it is that Christian life really is all about. When the fellowship of the faithful is, is taken away from us, that reminds us of just how rich and beautiful it is. When we are, when we are prevented from doing things in the same old way, sometimes we look back and say the same old way wasn't such a good old way after all. And we're finding new ways to do things even as we embrace the beauty and richness of the old. And so as I take stock of where we are, regardless of what we have suffered as a congregation, regardless of what we have suffered as individuals, 
These are opportunities that the Lord gives us to learn more, to grow more in love, in wisdom, in righteousness. And I say that for the same reason that Paul says this. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion. That's a memory verse if there ever was. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Paul's confidence, your confidence, my confidence is not in us. It is in God. God is doing a good work. Regardless of the pandemic, regardless of the temperature in this room right now, regardless of social divisions and political pressures, regardless of the fact that some fall away from God and and give up on faith, God is doing a good work. God is still at work. We have work to do. Every single one of us has work to do on ourselves, We have work to do in helping others with their work on themselves. We have work to do for our community. We have work to do as a community because God still is doing a good work. All of us know people who have dropped out of church. They've gone away from Christian faith. Maybe they've just sort of lost the habit, lost interest, whatever. We're told that the pace of desertion, it's the only way I can put it, desertion from Christian faith in this country is is actually accelerating. So I'm preaching to the choir here. All y'all are the choir. We still are holding fast. Part of our call of God is to go out and find those sheep who are wandering, who are lost, who are wavering, and bring them back into the fellowship of God's love through the fellowship of our love. It is God who is doing that through us. That's the way God works. That's who God is. Regardless of the trouble, regardless of the challenge, regardless of the struggle, that's who God is, therefore we keep on. I'm reminded of one particular night when God came to the children of Israel and said, your time of captivity is over. Tomorrow you will leave Egypt and set out on the journey that I have prepared for you. That was the night of Passover when the next day The Hebrew slaves left their known life in Egypt and grumbled and complained and worried and fretted the whole way, but they went with God because God was starting a new thing with His people. 
It was on that same night, hundreds and hundreds of years later, that Jesus was gathered with his disciples to celebrate what God had done so long ago and to remember God's faithfulness. And when Jesus gathered with his disciples, he alone knew that the very next day those disciples would be set out on a new journey, a new path that would begin with pain and suffering and defeat as Jesus was executed on the cross, but that would then be transformed as Jesus was resurrected from the grave. God is never defeated. God's people are never defeated. The good work of God goes on. That's why we come to the table so often. The family table, the table where we gather with Jesus, Thank you, Jesus, for being here. And where we gather with each other. We gather to be fed with love and forgiveness and truth and power from God. We gather to be set on our way again, engaging the good work that God is doing in us and engaging the good work that God is doing through us. And so I invite you to come. I invite you to come to this table as one whom Jesus invites to be part of the community of faith. You need not be a member of this congregation. You need be only one who loves and seeks to follow Jesus Christ. We will practice this communion in the way that we have become accustomed to, taking these little holy plastic cups, (laughs) ripping the top off of the dry side and then the wet side. And in all of that, remembering the gracious gift of God for the people of God. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, having given thanks to God, he broke the bread, saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us take the cup bread together. In the same way, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the sign of the new covenant sealed in my blood. For whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim his saving death until he comes again. Let us drink together. Join me in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you that in this sacrament you have given us but a foretaste of the kingdom triumphant. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who gave all so that we may have life and life abundant. May your Holy Spirit empower us afresh as we begin this new season, season of service, season of education, season of fellowship a season in serving you by loving all people. We thank you in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.
Last week, we sang a little song together at the end of worship, and a lot of you told me you wanted to sing the whole thing. We're not going to do that today. As Juan and I were talking a few weeks ago about the title of this sermon and the good work goes on, he picked up on actually what had been going on in my head as I picked that title about another song, and the beat goes on, right? Sonny and Cher. We ain't going to do Sonny and Cher. <laughs> but the beat does go on. It's a heartbeat. It's the heartbeat of the living Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's the heartbeat that's inside your chest. A heartbeat that's loving. A heartbeat that's growing. A heartbeat that never will be stopped, even when the earth dissolves like snow, because it's the beat of God's love for us that we will share with others. The good work goes on in you and in us for the sake of the world. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and forevermore. Amen.